Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back, amazing parents. If you're concerned that your teen is struggling with addiction, whether it's technology, substances, or behavior, this episode is for you. We're talking about preventing teen addiction. Joining us is the renowned child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Gayani De Silva. Dr. De Silva is not only a leading expert in the field, but she's also the author of two highly acclaimed books, A Psychiatrist's Guide, Helping Parents Reach Their their Depressed Tween, and A Psychiatrist's Guide, Stop Teen Addiction Before It Starts. Dr. De Silva will help us navigate the intricate terrain of teen addiction, and most importantly, provide proactive steps that parents can take to protect their teenagers from this widespread threat. Welcome, Dr. De Silva. It's so great to have you here. Hi, Dr. Cam. It's great to be here with you, having this super important conversation. Uh, it is very, very big. Now, let's start with a quick backstory. What got you interested in teen addiction specifically? Well, um, I've always been interested in teen health, mm. uh, both physical health and mental health. And then I got really interested in access to care and how mental health and physical health are interrelated and really affect each other so significantly. And then just in seeing patients really struggling with addiction, seeing adults with addictive disorders, and then seeing teenagers and working with families and realizing that addiction is a family issue. Yeah. It starts in with family history. It starts with genetics. It starts with the choices that uh, parents make in their own substance use and recreation with their own addictive behaviors. And then it also um, affects the children. Children see parental behaviors and they grow up in families with addiction and they internalize that behavior and those ideas. And um, really, you know, I wrote the book about preventing teen addiction before it happens because I um, was seeing people around me, uh, my patients and friends, adults, really struggling Mm. with addiction and some of them even committing suicide and dying because Mm. of their addiction. And I thought, you know, we really need to address this from the beginning and see what we can do as parents because parents are so important for children. They're so important and they really have this, like special, unique uh, position to influence their kids. And I just thought being a parent myself, yeah, that uh, the more knowledge that I have about how I can impact my child and help him grow up and be the, the person that he wants to be without so much struggle, um, I would definitely want that information. So I, that's why I wrote the book and that's why I'm interested. That's great. And I know a lot of people, there's there's a lot of different things I want to cover here. So um, I think the first one is that, that the parents that I work with as well are very attuned to the the threat of addiction, the fear of addiction, but the way they approach it isn't always 
the best way because I think when our kids become tweens and teenagers, the influence we feel like we have over them is not as strong as we'd like, especially when it comes to trying to limit the things they they want to do because we fear they're going to get addicted to them. So let's start with technology because I feel like this is the most prevalent right now. It's pretty much across the board because phones have been created to be addictive, right? Adults are having trouble too. And the teen brain is prone to addiction. So we got these two things creating a perfect storm and parents are losing their minds over it. Help us out. What do we do, Dr. DeSilva? Yes, you know, everything you've said is so true. Um, One thing that I think parents really need to remember and, and key into is that they are the most influential person in their child's life until about age 11. Right. And then after 11, they're still very important. Of course, they're always important people and influential in their child's life, but they kind of take a second role in that most influential spot. And all of a sudden society, friends, all these external people become the most influential uh, factors in their child's life and their thinking. So we have to take a proactive stance as parents. We have to think about what do we do with our children to prevent mm-hmm. the addiction to technology? We know that it's addictive. We know that our teenage brains, our kids' teenage brains are primed uh, to get addicted. So as children, we have to model, sorry, as mm-hmm. our children are younger than 11, as parents, we need to model our behavior, how we interact with our phones, how we set up the expectations about social media and electronics. So it's really great for children, even at four years old or five years old, when they've got those toys, you know, they've got those like plastic toys now, right? That look just like phones. And oh yeah. And, and they uh, can tell I the difference though. They still go for the real thing. <laughs> so they love the real thing because <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it just looks cooler, right? The technology and all of that. But how we interact with those items really, yeah is impactful to the child. So the child should see us as parents, take out our phone, do some work, put it away. Mm. And they should see us not bring out our electronics to the dinner table. Is there anything easier that we can do? (laughs) I, I mean, I think it is very, when we become aware of how addicted we are to our own phones and how much they're in our own hands and how much we're, we're distracted by them when we're interacting with our kids when they're little. You know, I see parents out there and I'm not, I did that, you know, you're out walking your kid, but you're also on social media, like while you're doing it or your kids playing in the playground and I see parents on their phones. And so we get, we show them that we're doing this all the time. And then we do a lot of do as I say, not as I do. Right. And that does not work well. It just doesn't. It really doesn't. It doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're constantly multitasking. I know my, my son used to, when he was little, say, mommy, put your phone away. You're always yeah. texting. I was yeah. like, oh, I know, but it's work. Or, oh, but it's, I have to do this. Or, oh, I can't, I have to. We're so pulled into this immediate response yeah. to whatever's going on on our phone or our iPads. Um, but we don't really have to. We need to understand our own uh, compulsions 
and our own conditioning and our own uh, potential for not necessarily addiction, but uh, but have habit of yeah. responding to our phones and our um, our iPads and whatnot. And our our kids need our time, so we need to make a conscious decision that when we're interacting with our child, we are not going to answer the phone. We are not going to look at a screen. We are going to look at our child and we're going to interact with them. And that really sets up in a very tangible and visceral, like internal way for children to realize, oh, this is a conversation. This is an interaction that I'm having with a person, with somebody I care about and who cares about me. And there are no phones involved. There's no social media involved. And that gets ingrained that they become conditioned to that expectation. So we're, we're talking to parents who already have teens. And if you have a teen, chances are very, very high that you're already concerned about their amount of use. I have yet to talk to somebody that is not concerned about the amount of tech use that their kid is using. Right. Um, the typical go-to is to then take the phone away or take the tech away, put very tight restrictions on phone use And this creates a lot of conflict and no change of habit. So what do we do instead? So instead, I would say partner with your child. So whatever rules you put or whatever rules you want your child to follow, you've got to follow them too. So it's got to be, hey, we use our phones too much. We are not communicating directly enough. We're not spending enough quality time just me and you, just us as a family communicating. So we are going to all put our phones away and make it very deliberate, you know, get a box or a, or a bag or something and everybody put their phones in there and make it, hey, 20 minutes, we're going to play a game. 20 minutes, we're going to talk. And even if the bag is buzzing or dinging, nobody checks it. Right. And that's the rule. And I would do it, you know, I would start off kind of short, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, something that you can do and be very successful at. And then I bet you very soon, it'll be so enjoyable and people will be connecting that that time will fly by and the phones will become less important. That is what's amazing. My daughter just went for a whole, like a whole weekend retreat and they took the phones at the beginning and they didn't get them back to the end. And I was like, Oh, I wonder that how that's going to go. My daughter's 17 and she came back and she goes, it was amazing. She goes, I had so many incredible conversations with people, like really deep conversations and loved it. Granted, she went back on and caught up on all her social media. Right. (laughs) But But the fact was that they actually found real sincere enjoyment when they didn't have that. So there was that detox. But like you said, we can't expect them to detox and not do it ourselves because that sends a very mixed message that is not teaching them anything. It's basically just saying when you get older, then you can become addicted. Right (laughs) Now you don't have rights, right? So it's not really teaching the right thing. So we've got to do it with them. And I think some parents will say, well, I said I'm going to do it. And my teen is like, well, I'm not. And what do you say to parents whose kids are not bought into this great, great plan, but the kids are like, you can do it, but I'm not doing it. Oh, that's a great question. So what we need to do is communicate with our children the essence 
or the intention of that kind of uh, direction, right? So, and the real reason we do this is because we want to create a real connection mm. because we care about our children. We yeah. want to get to know them as people. We want them to get to know us as people and develop a sincere and intimate relationship. And so I would explain that to your child. Hey, you know what? There's nothing more important to me than connecting with you. And I want to get to know you. I want to know what you're interested in. I want to know what your feelings are. I want to know what your thoughts are. You're such an incredible person. I know you've got lots going on there that I don't know about, but I want to know about it. I want to share in that. And that's why I want us to put our phones away because I don't want to be distracted. I want to give you 100% attention and I want you to know that I want 100% of you. I love that. And nothing in there was about taking away punishment, something like it was all very positive and all very intentional. And I think just the approach, we can do the same to the same thing, but with a different approach and it changes the whole dynamic and experience because now it's not like a, you watch too much of this. We got to take it away from you. It's a, we really want this experience and we really want time with you. And that is huge. It really is. I love that. So now let's go into substances because we know teenagers are extraordinarily curious and very drawn to risk, right? Plus they think nothing's going to happen. They also are drawn to belonging. So whatever my peers are doing, this is about wanting to feel like I'm part of them. So Kids are vaping, kids are drinking, kids are, we're, we see marijuana use a lot. So how do we help our kids navigate this? Because they are very prone to addiction, but they also are so drawn to doing this just out of curiosity. Yes, that is so true. So the first thing to think about is that the number one uh, reason why children, teenagers, do not use substances or harmful activities or harmful uh, uh, things, patterns of behavior, they're they're not so risk-taking, is their Mm self-esteem. So if they have really good, solid self-esteem, they're not going to be seeking those things that are going to be harmful to them. They're still going to seek novelty. They're still going to seek challenge. But they're going to seek it in a positive, healthy, helpful way. So I think that's really, really important to know and to validate for for ourselves and for our children, our teenagers, that, yeah, I know you're going to, you need to challenge yourself. I know you need to go take a risk. I want you to, to, to do it in a healthy way. I don't want you to do something that might harm you. Yeah. So, so knowing that we buttress we support and we encourage their self-esteem. And the way to do that is to validate their feelings, mm-hmm. right? I, and you do that by asking them, how do you feel? I, I was a teenager too. I understand you've got all these desires. How, tell me about them. How do you want to fulfill them? How do you, how do you want me to support you in what you want to do? Yeah, and and so it's this par- idea of partnership again, right? Yeah. I want to know about you. I want to help you. I want to support you. I'm so curious. You're so interesting. 
uh, I want to know all about it. Even if you're not interested in it, you don't have to lie about it. You don't have to pretend like, hey, I really am interested in it. Like my son's 17, he loves anime. You know, I, I like anime, but I'm not like crazy about it. You know, it's not like my favorite thing. And, and he knows that, but I'm interested in what he's interested in, right? Hey, what's your favorite anime? What do you like about it? What, you know, that seems kind of gory to me. Like, what is it about it that you really, really enjoy? And what, how does it appeal to you? And I'm happy to take you to anime movies. I may not, I may walk out, you know, <laughs> take a little break here and there, right. but, um, you know, you just kind of be honest about your feelings, but also show interest. And that really helps buttress their self-esteem and they won't have the desire to use substances because they're not going to want to escape. They're not going to want to harm themselves. They're going to really like themselves. You know, you yeah. like them, they're going to like themselves. I think the other big thing is when they've got this sense of self, um, they are more comfortable in saying no, even if it's in the face of doing it, because that gives them that power. And I think what's really difficult is that it's it's hard for parents to allow their kids to say no at home because it feels disrespectful or that they're pushing back on us. But then we want them to go say no out in the world and they haven't been able to. And so I talk to kids who are like, well, I'm uncomfortable saying no because that gets me in trouble. And now they take that same mindset into the real world and saying no to something like this creates conflict and trouble. And so they say yes. And so we're kind of messing up a little bit when we don't let our kids say no to us. I That's such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, they need practice and saying mm -hmm. no. And they need practice when they say no, that the reaction that they get back is going to be, oh, okay, tell me why. Yeah. That you're okay with their, your child saying no to you. And then yes, they will feel much more confident saying no in public and to other people who are putting pressure on them, not just for addictive and harmful substances, but anything that they don't want. Right. Which is huge, right? It's so important nowadays that kids are able to have agency and be able to self-advocate. And that means teaching them at home for all of this, right? Yes. They need to feel safe. They need to be able to advocate for their safety. And that's part of it is saying no at home and feeling safe enough to say no at home. Or I don't really want that. I mean, you know, I don't really want to hug right now, mom. Yeah. I just want to be by myself. And for, for the parent, it may hurt because you really want to give them a hug, yeah. right? But respecting their boundaries and teaching them in a very tangible way that their boundaries are okay and acceptable mm -hmm. and frankly wanted. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a kind of, it's a difficult thing for parents to walk because we want to have authority and we want to be, you know, we don't want them to disrespect us or we want them to listen to us, but we need, when they get older, we need to start listening to them too. And, and respecting their boundaries, not just expecting them to respect ours. And I think that's, that's a struggle for a lot of parents. I think so too. And, you know, parents um, are under a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. They're under so much pressure, their own expectations, then society's expectations, their family's expectations of them. What is a good parent? Yeah. You know, I think it's really hard to be a parent because in that moment, when you're trying to make a decision in interacting with your child, it's not just that 
decision, right? It's not, it's not so discreet. It's weighed down by all these other expectations and feelings and uh, history and, and insecurities. Yeah. And, and let's be real. Parents are just as prone to peer pressure as kids are. It's the same thing. Like, what are people going to think of me if I let my child in public say no to me? And I mean, that's happened to me several times. And I've seen people look at me going, you're going to let your child say no to you. And I'm like, a hundred percent, I'm going to let my child say no to me. Like, it's not a disrespectful no, it's just a no. Right. And so I think that it, it feels like you're swimming upstream sometime. Yes, yes. Yeah. We have this in society. We have this expectations that parents control their children. And that's so not true. We have no control over our children. So parents, you know what, you've got to, you've got, you're allowed to not have any control because you can't do it. And if we work so hard at controlling our children, because that's the expectation, we're going to fail. We, we and, cannot be successful with something we absolutely cannot do. And when it comes to addiction and fears of what they're going to get addicted to, that is where we become the most focused on controlling. Yes. That's when all of everything we know, even if we know it doesn't work, goes out the window and everyone starts like battening, tightening everything down and, you know, taken doors off. I've seen take doors taken off of rooms and I've seen like technology taken away. And there's just like tight, tight, tight restrictions out of fear. Why does this not work? And what do we do instead if we can't control it? Oh, so such a good question. Um, yeah, we can't control anything. And definitely with addiction, we're out of control right? It is a biological change in the brain. Once somebody's addicted, the only person who can control, not the addiction, but can control the behavior is that person. So we really need to put our energy, not so much into controlling the environment, controlling the person. We should just not do that at all, but instead we need to put our energy into supporting their self-esteem. Again, that's the thing. When people feel good about themselves, when they like themselves, then they can utilize all the supports to managing their behavior, to manage their addiction and manage their thoughts and heal really from all the reasons why they started using substances in the first place. Yeah. I think that's so important because the very things that we kind of automatically do to to when we see an addiction or we fear an addiction is actually counter to everything you just said. Yeah. So when we go in and try to control and we try to point out all the bad things that this thing will do to them and how bad their choices are, we're actually killing their self-esteem even yes. more. So we're feeding into the very thing that's feeding their addiction rather than stepping back. And I think the other thing, and you've mentioned this already, but I want to bring it up again, is that connection we have with them is so critical because if we have a strong connection with them, that builds their self-esteem too. Cause they're like, wow, I'm likable. My parents, they know we love them. We have to, that's, that's right. And they're like, that has no value at this point. Cause we're parents. If we like them, that's huge. And they know the difference. 
And when they feel like we like them and we respect them and we accept them for who they are, that's the foundation of their own self-esteem. Right. All of those feelings of feeling liked and respected and adored and kind of, you know, interesting, all of that works against the buildup of shame. Yes. And it builds resiliency. And so if that shame, I mean, we hear people talk about that all the time. And, it, you know, in for those of us who aren't therapists and working with um, people who are struggling and telling us their struggles, many people don't reveal their struggles just out right. in public. Uh, but we know that everybody is struggling with something. And typically at the at the base of that, the foundation, the nexus of that is shame. Yes. It's really trying to avoid that shame, trying not to let anybody see it and not even letting ourselves see it. But that's really at the crux. And uh, the more we like ourselves, the more we can like our children and like each other. Um, that really is so healing and it really brings down that intensity of the shame. Yeah. And I think it is so important to realize it's not just a shame, like recognizing how that shame is impacting your child's behavior, but how you're responding to your child. There's a great amount of that because if we see our child struggling with even the tech use, but struggling with, you know, substance use or behaviors, we then take it on ourselves and we feel ashamed by our child's behavior. And so that gives us even more like need to just stop it. Like we just need to stop it now. We don't have time to do the connection and the building of the self-esteem. We don't, we don't have time. We have to just stop it. And then we just, again, keep feeding, feeding, feeding and our own shame get, we throw that onto our kids and now it's a burden to them. They start shutting off. And so I think we need to address the fact that our kids are not us. If we have a child that is struggling with addiction, we are a parent of a child who is struggling with addiction that needs our support. We are not a person who needs to control and, and is ashamed that they let their child become addicted, addicted, right? So yes. we got to switch that. We have a child that is struggling. They need our support. How do we become a parent of a child who is struggling? Yes, exactly. And we need to also look at how we deal with our own shame. Yes you know, how we heal from our own shame. And I think that uh, the more work we do in healing and addressing our shame and not being uh, scared or fearful or ashamed of our shame. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, then we teach our child that, hey, those those vulnerable parts of, of ourselves, it's okay to let it be known. And it's yeah. okay to deal with it. And it's okay that we have them and we can share them. We don't have to be so, so avoidant and shameful of our vulnerabilities. Right. So I think part of this is when we, when we talk about addictions, we talk about a concern of the amount of use rather than the instinct of telling them all the bad things that it's doing and all the bad reasons why they shouldn't be doing it, which let's face it, most kids know most of them already. It's not enough to stop them. We change that focus to getting interested in why they feel the need to do that? Why, what is that bringing to them? What is that doing for them? Why do they need that for an escape? Or why have they decided to do that? Right? Yes. What else should we be focusing on? When we understand the why, then we can figure out the how. Yeah. 
So when we understand like, uh, let's say our child is uh, seeking substances or using substances or, or seeking social media too much, uh, and the why is they feel alone, right? Then we can address that and we can help them not feel so alone. So this is where we give our interest in them and maybe we help them learn how to make friends or we learn about what's going on in their friend group. Maybe there's some dynamic going on. Maybe they're being bullied. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they have no friends. Maybe they're so socially anxious that they don't know how to approach a person and develop that friendship. So then we help them with that. Yeah. None of these are fast solutions. No, nothing is fast. Uh, our brains don't change quickly. Our uh, feelings don't heal quickly. All of this takes time. And frankly, it takes a lot of work and a lot of diligence and a lot of um, not just persistence, but also being very aware of the moment and being aware of the interaction. And, and it doesn't require perfection. No. That's the other thing. We don't have to be perfect parents. No. We can make lots of mistakes. We can make mistakes all day long, moment to moment. It's totally fine. What's really important is that you're present, that you bring your yourself to it. We can have all sorts of issues and complications um, and that's okay. Kids are so accepting and they're so patient and tolerant uh, they're so tolerant and they love their parents so much really even teens matter. do even teens even teens they, absolutely. they may they may be annoyed with us and frustrated with us <laughs> and okay. hate what we're doing <laughs> but they love us they um, and they want to be loved by us desperately yes. Um, and I think when you're saying it's okay to, you know, make mistakes, because we're going to, in fact, it's important. And I've talked to a lot of people, you know, when we talk about suicide prevention, and one big thing is to be able to take accountability and show our own mistakes as parents. So we allow our kids to see that we're human, and okay. that it's okay to make mistakes, because if they don't see that, then they think something's wrong if they make a mistake. So Yes. Taking accountability, apologizing for our mistakes is another great way to model it. But everything I'm hearing is if we're worried about our teens, we don't have control of what they do. What we can change is how we're showing up for our teens. Yes. And that's what we can do. And that's going to have the biggest impact is how we're showing up for them. Yes, exactly. I love that. So anything else that you want to make sure parents take away from this episode? that we haven't covered or that you want to reiterate? Um, I just want to say that, uh, just to reiterate that parenting is a really, really tough job. And um, the more grace we give ourselves as parents and allow for these kinds of mistakes, kind of stumbling, and the more we reveal ourselves to our children, mm -hmm. um, the more real the connection is and the more it allows for children to tolerate their own vulnerabilities, their own mistakes, their own struggles. And struggling is a part of life and it's really okay. It is okay. It's it's important that we do it um, and let our kids see us to do it. Yes. So how do people find you, Dr. De Silva? They can find me online at drguyany.com. That's my website. Uh, that's probably the best way to reach me. Perfect. Thank you, Dr. De Silva. I am so grateful you could join us today. Thank you, Dr. Cam. It's great to sure. be with you. 
And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. I appreciate you, too. If you found this episode enlightening, take a quick second to click the follow button, then forward it to a friend. And if you want more information on how to best support your teens, you can download my 10 top tips for raising teens at askdrcam.com slash parenting tips. Until next time, stay curious. Remember, there's always more to the story than what you see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.